0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: If I told you there was a mess in the pocket, would you imagine perhaps a chocolate bar on a sunny day that you forgot? chilling right there on your side or potentially week 12 in the NFL. Uh, Because there were a lot of messes in the pocket this past weekend, a weekend that, by the way, was a lot more intriguing and interesting than many of us expected after a bunch of good games on that Thanksgiving night. So we'll get into the messes in the pocket. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. First, of course, we do have Monday Night Football tonight. Steelers sitting at 3-6, taking on the Colts at 4-6-1. It's an 8-15 Eastern start on ESPN. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about that matchup. Uh, the fighting Jeff Saturdays, I believe, fits is what we're calling them <laughs> these days. Do we I have actually, a name I, for I love the Steelers that. like that? Every I think, um, no, no.
2: Yeah. The Steelers are just the, just the the Steelers. Just the Steelers. Yeah. I, I don't know the the uh, plucky pickets. Like I don't know
1: plucky. Pickets. Yeah, because like, 'cause
2: they're plucky. They're out there, you know, trying to. Tomlin's can he,
1: can he? troops. Oh yeah, Tomlin Tom, versus Tomlin's tryharders.
2: Tryhards uh, uh, versus, versus me
1: fighting Jeff Saturday. Yeah, no, uh, right. we'll keep workshopping that. uh what? Let's talk about the tryhards that failed this past weekend, and that includes a couple quarterbacks that have left us with some big, big questions. Uh, one of those is Aaron Rodgers. Two interceptions in the first half in their losing effort. Goes down with an oblique injury, has been struggling with a thumb injury since that game against the Giants. And Jordan Love comes in, and we finally get an actual look at this backup quarterback that they botched this team so seriously with when they drafted him. Um, And he looked pretty good, (laughs) Fitz. Uh, he looked good enough that it had some people wondering, do you play him and see more of what you got with him and reconsider your future with Rodgers? How did you see this loss to the Eagles and what it means for the Packers?
2: Yeah, I heard that, especially across ESPN platforms today. And I just, just stop. Like, what's the, I mean, if you think that Aaron Rodgers sitting is going to give the Packers any sort of advantage moving forward, I just don't understand what that advantage would be. Your best case scenario is that Jordan Love comes out and plays lights out. And if he plays lights out, that doesn't matter because the dead cap hit next year for Aaron Rodgers is so massive, he can't go anywhere. So what, are you going to suddenly pick up the fifth-year option based on a few starts with the hope that maybe in a couple of years you might play Jordan Love? Or do you hope that you've increased some level of trade value? But even at that... All you're doing is creating more controversy under that trade value. If he comes out and he stinks, now you've diminished whatever just small trade value he might have or you have completely just have to re-answer the questions about where Jordan Love is. So I don't see any advantage to not playing Aaron Rodgers unless you're simply worried that he's going to suffer a catastrophic injury, which is so rare that I wouldn't even let that factor in. So that's what I
1: was going to ask you about. When it comes to injury, is it at least worth playing it safe? They have the Bears this weekend. Now listen, I want nothing more than a not 100% Aaron Rodgers who has been playing poorly on a team that's been struggling to play against a fully well as full strength as they can be now that Mooney's out and yeah, all these other players are injured and who knows if Justin Fields will be back. But I would like to see that matchup uh, be for real. But they've got a buy after that. So it makes sense if they don't want to risk long-term injury to potentially sit him again. In that case, you understand the benefit, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're going to sit him for one week while he gets healthy behind before the buy, but to sit him for the rest of the season? I, yeah. I mean, what what are you going to see from Jordan Love that's going to change the economics behind the decision of Jordan Love? And like, How often do, especially for me being cynical at times in business, I always say follow the money, right? Uh, You follow the money, and there's clearly no win for Jordan Love ever being the starter for the Packers. It's not going to happen.
1: Ken Ingalls, who is a Packers shareholder, a CPA, nerd, and cap guy whose bio says he spends his time analyzing the Packers salary cap and roster, uh, he tweeted out back in August, Rogers' cap hit for 2023 is 31.6 million with no way to reduce it. $0 available via restructured. If he's de- if he's traded his dead cap jumps to 40.3 million. If he retires his dead cap jumps to 40.3 million. If he is cut, his dead cap jumps to 99.8 million. <sighs> And the scenarios get worse each subsequent year. 2024, Cap It starts at 40.7 and it goes up to 68. 2025, Cap It starts at 59.3 million and it goes up to 76.8 if he's cut. So it is a sort of a time bomb of a contract. And you're right. I don't think there's any sense in thinking you're gonna be able to trade him. Uh But it is an interesting conundrum for them to have right now as he's injured and to figure out exactly what their future looks like. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about messes in the pocket (laughs) this past weekend. Uh, Not a mess, Mike White, who had an absurd game in terms of efficiency, efficiency.
2: Efficiency. Help me out here. Thank you. Efficiency. Look uh, at me helping Sarah out. What is, look, they're ice skating in hell right now. That's Just, right. Step you can outside, tell the check show's it. Really There are pigs a close all here. over in the middle of the sky, and How they are hawking their over. way through. Oh, Pigs are flying. Uh, they're ice skating in hell.
1: 305 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, the Jets get to seven and four. And listen, Mike White, I wasn't sure about. I thought they were going to go with Flacco. And then they said during the week that what he's shown in practice has elevated him to the number two and made that clear. He looked great. And Dan Rolofsky on KJ and Max said, you're not going back to Wilson after that.
0: No shot you go back to Zach Wilson. Mike White is a better quarterback. Now, Zach Wilson is more talented, that's not up for debate. But just watch. For, is it shocking key that all of a sudden Garrett Wilson got the ball thrown to him? Or no. all of a sudden Elijah Moore got the ball thrown to him? Just no. watch how the offense operates and how quickly the ball comes out of the quarterback's hands. There's no shot you go back to Zach Wilson. Dude, you're 7-4 and four, and here's the reality. As long as Mike White plays like an adult and plays professional quarterback, not even great. Just play good. The Jets can beat anybody because their defense. They can beat right, They just need an average quarterback. They just need. Don't give the game. A starting quarterback in the NFL. 100%. You can't go back to Zach Wilson.
1: I completely agree, and I also think you know we heard Robert Salas say after the game he made the easy things look easy and that to me is an indictment on Zach Wilson Mike White ran the offense he executed he didn't get them in a hole that his defense had to clean up and this team looks like it can do something if they aren't completely hamstrung by their quarterback if you go back to Zach Wilson it would be for no other reason than to try to cover up for a bad decision from your GM and your front office and that's not a decision you can make when you have a team that's playoff bound
2: I don't disagree Agree with any of that. I think you were hundred percent accurate. The only caveat that I would add to any of this is we don't get the luxury of seeing what he looks like against Bill Belichick. I mean, right. we're talking about a Bears defense that now has given up twenty seven or more, four straight games, a new franchise record, right? Like, yeah, this the is Bears a-
1: defense is trash. They've traded away their best players. Two of their best that are still on the roster weren't playing in this game and others left injured. So it was a particularly easy spot for him to come into.
2: Right. It just feels like maybe that's it should at least be part of the equation. Like if I suddenly nailed a basic math quiz and somebody else had to take a calculus quiz, I don't think that we could then suddenly make an assumption which one of us is better at math. Like, just because I can handle 2. two plus two equals four doesn't mean I'm better than the guy that had to do all the X plus Y stuff that I'm not smart enough to figure out. That's right. a difference in what I think we're seeing defensively between the two teams. I agree with teams.
1: that. I agree with that, but I think you still don't go back to Zach Wilson. I you agree. at least let Mike White play it out against some other teams and see if he can do enough to help your defense uh, get you along. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. The final biggest mess in the pocket, and there were plenty, but Russell Wilson, man. Russell Wilson, it got so ugly and bad, he's arguing with Mike Purcell on the sidelines. Um, It it results in so many questions after the game, and and there was a stat on the Athletic Football Show podcast, um, and they admitted after the fact that they forgot to throw in Freddie Kitchens. I'm not sure what the odds were for the Browns that year, but in the last 10 years, six, seven with Kitchens, coaches were one and done, fired after one season or in the middle. And every single one of those teams had Super Bowl odds of 100 to one or longer. The Broncos odds coming into this season were 17 to one. So when Nathaniel Hackett inevitably gets let go, which we all think is going to happen, and probably for good reason based on a lot of what we've seen, it's going to be leading a team that had massively high expectations. And I do think... You are tied to Russell Wilson because of that contract and because of the deal you made for him. And you got to see if somebody else can come in and get more out of him.
2: The next three years, this is the number 107 million, 85 million, and 49.6 million. Those are the dead cap hits each of the next three years if the Broncos choose to separate from Russell Wilson. When you think about that, Now now what we know is that when there is an interview in a couple of weeks for the head coaching job of the Broncos, the first question will be, how can you make something out of Russell Wilson? That's going to be what everybody will have to identify.
1: After the game, uh, Mike Purcell said he was trying to provide a spark when he approached Russell Wilson. We're in this together, period, he said uh, via a reporter from The Athletic. And, of course, after the game, Russ gave a very... Reasonable and seasoned professional answer about the dust up. Uh, but lots going on behind the scenes with that Broncos team. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Nations presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. It was a crazy weekend in college football that I very much enjoyed. We'll recap all of it next. Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Let's go.
2: Yeah, if you're not into Taylor Swift, this isn't going to be your night because there's going to be a lot of it <laughs> coming at you. The only thing better than Taylor Swift, the weekend in college football at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, and you can tweet us nice things only on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, (laughs) at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Really stunning weekend in college football. Stunning in the sense that we had all sorts of drama. It feels like every week we've had drama galore. But stunning for me, Sarah, because I could not have been more wrong about Michigan-Ohio State. I really thought Ohio State would just absolutely destroy Michigan- I was wrong. Michigan came out with a better game plan. They came out better coach. They came out with a better idea how to execute a game that looked like it was on the verge of going to 17-3 to early in favor of Ohio State on a big fourth down conversion, thought they were going to get it, thought they were going to run away with the game, and all of a sudden it just blew out the other way. And Kudos to Michigan for getting a huge, maybe the biggest statement win of the year by any college football team.
1: Fitz, you will recall that several years ago, I did a lengthy college football bachelorette and whittled down 24 teams to find my one true love and extended a rose to University of Michigan. At the time, they were not a dominant team. Jim Harbaugh didn't send me a welcome video during which she said, Let's celebrate Mazel Tov. I'm not sure if he thought I was Jewish or if at the moment he felt he was Jewish. Either way, we celebrated. I had a couple seasons where I hung strong despite the outcome, and it's finally paying off because this was a fun game to watch and I think you had some insight into some of the reasons that it looked like especially in the second half like Ohio State just had no idea what they were doing defensively and got burnt for those huge massive touchdown plays
2: yeah one of the more interesting things that was pointed out is that coming into the game JJ McCarthy the quarterback of uh, Michigan had a substantially lower completion percentage almost 24 points lower against man defense instead of zone now Ohio State runs mostly zone for this game they flipped all of that on their head and they became stubborn about running man well their thought i think was that they were going to trick jj mccarthy instead they had busted coverage after busted coverage where a secondary looked wildly confused throughout the course of the game on who should go where the number of times you saw two people in the defensive backfield bumping into each other because they just didn't know where somebody was. It spoke to the fact that Ohio State tried to outsmart everybody, but you can't outsmart somebody if you don't out-execute them as well. So I think trying to out-coach them actually got them out-coached.
1: Well, and not just out-execute somebody, but confuse your own team not give your own team a chance to play up to its strengths by making a switch like that last minute. And now, you know, there haven't been a ton of questions about Ryan day since he arrived. He's 42 and five in four seasons at Ohio state. They've never been lower than sixth in the AP poll, but, two years in a row of losses like that to Michigan. And people are going to ask questions. Um, People are going to wonder if he's the guy for the job. And um, I will admit, I I, like you, I thought Ohio state was going to win this game. And I certainly did not think it would be a beat down the likes of which we saw, but I will say this, it's not all over for Ohio state and Heather Dinich talked about that on best week ever. There's still a chance for them and for Alabama to, to be in the CFP race. It's one or two upsets
0: away from Ohio State or Alabama or both getting back into this conversation. If USC loses, if TCU loses, that's what we're looking at and Ohio State and Alabama aren't going to play again. So, who's got the edge in that debate? We'll find out on Tuesday night.
2: One thing Heather always says is if you're not playing, you're praying on that conference championship weekend. I've stolen that from her, but but can I tell you Sarah, one of the proudest moments of my whole career at ESPN? <laughs> I'm going to tell you on Saturday. I'm a, I'm hanging out. I'm getting ready for my college football show, and this is before the outcomes, and I'm watching Oregon, who's just up. Oh, they're up by 18 on Oregon State. And so Heather's in the green room getting ready for her shows, and I walk in, and I'm like, I got an Oregon question for you. So I got her whole staff. Heather's there. I'm like, does Oregon have a shot at the college football playoff again before the result? And she's like, no. And so I lay out my case based on everything I was researching all afternoon for no good reason. And I lay out the case, and Heather's like, oh, my God, I hadn't even thought of this. You're absolutely right. I need to rewrite a bunch of this Whoa, stuff because Oregon has a case. Right. I felt so accomplished. I looked at everybody, and I said, people, my work here is done. I have convinced Heather Dennich. Midway through my show, Oregon blows an 18-point lead. They get beat by Oregon State. Heather texts me. We just wasted a bunch of time. So all I did was really waste <laughs> hours of Heather Dennich's time, but that still led uh, to the chaos. By the way, you mentioned Harbaugh. And the fact that, uh, you know, suddenly we're talking about Ryan Day a little bit. It is interesting when you think about the impact of that result. Paul Feinbaum from the Paul Feinbaum Show on Get Up said this about the transformation specifically of Harbaugh and the way he's seen.
0: This, this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, transformation in college football history. Two years ago, he was this close to getting fired. They slashed his contract. He survived because of covid and what does he do? He runs the table two straight years in the regular season. He's in the playoff two straight years. And he absolutely owns his rival two straight years. And suddenly, Jim Harbaugh is no longer on the hot seat. And some people are pointing the finger at Ryan Day at Ohio State. That's how great this has been. I think it's yeah. an important point.
1: Well, and listen, he I'm glad he said it. Because Feinbaum has been the front of the line calling for Harbaugh to get fired the last couple of years. He has been pulling what's remaining of his hair out on a regular basis, trying to figure out why they haven't made a move. And it's all coming around now for Harbaugh. And so it's worth pointing out how different things look two years in.
2: Two uh, year. By the way, speaking of... Uh, coaches and the way they're perceived we should mention one of the big stories today there's been several coaching moves today not the least of which lane kiffin agreeing to a new contract to stay at ole miss wisconsin naming cincinnati coach luke fickle as their net head coach next head coach shocking to me but hugh freeze named as the auburn head coach sarah and this is just a a moment to remind everybody that hugh freeze has a very loud past that uh, he apparently thinks we should all just look past now
1: Yeah, and it's also a reminder, and it happened with Urban Meyer as well, that coaches will disappear for a while, and it will not matter what they did and how egregious it was and how it was responded to in the moment. If they sit back for a while, and in his case it was going to Liberty to try to redeem himself and repair his reputation, they will be back on the market and some school will be willing to hire, and that includes Auburn looking past – him D. De- uh, freeze, DMing uh, sex- alleged sexual assault victims, trying to dissuade them from speaking out, not to mention the phone sex line things and all the other stuff he's pulled. I mean, it's pretty embarrassing and yet completely unsurprising at this point.
2: As yet unconfirmed if they're changing their phrase from war dam, eagle to war Dam escort. Uh, in the meantime, I know, in the meantime, other big story of the weekend was uh, pupils. Uh, you, you discovered this on social media. We're going to ask yeah. everybody to chime in on something that you learned about your family or other families on social media because apparently there's a bunch of people out there that are using bowls from their kitchen as puke bowls for their kids and their friends and then turning around and making cake out of them
1: yeah no it's not cool it's not cool it's something i had never heard of and never knew i thought we all just accepted small garbage cans with plastic bags
2: well apparently not so Uh, we'll we'll get into it more later in the show but coming up are the lakers a trade away from becoming contenders we'll answer that next spain and fits
0: spain and fits the podcast
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back to Monday Night Football, get you everything you need to know there. But we are in the thick of the action in the NBA, and we got to talk to one of our friends, ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler, uh, joins us right out of the gate's legs. Uh, we're doing a lot of Taylor Swift tonight. I don't know how it happened. Uh, in my mind now, I'm suddenly imagining that Tim Legler getting ready for a broadcast is rocking to all the Swift action. That, like, is, T- is Tim Legler a quiet Swifty or n- yes no? Where are we on this one?
0: I'm definitely a quiet Swifty, and i got actually a pretty quick Taylor Swift story. So my daughter hits me up when she announces she's going on tour. My daughter... Is like, hey, I need, I need like your Capital One numbers because you get like, pre-order, whatever. So I'm like, I give her the, give her all the information, and then I followed up. I wasn't paying attention to that story at all, and I, I hit her up like, hey, you know, what kind of tickets did you get? She's like, did, did, do you not look at the news ever? Did you not see this <laughs> debacle that took place? So she ended up not getting the tickets, but oh. yeah, yeah, I kind of dig, I kind of dig her music, and I understand my, my daughter has seen her. This would have been her fourth time. And it, apparently, it's like one of the best live shows you can see. So that's that's all I know about that.
2: That is that is an amazing story, by the way. Her drummer's a good buddy of mine, so I'm going to pass that on to him. He'll feel he'll feel very Ooh, happy that's about that. The hookup I've been looking uh, for. Uh, Thank all right, you very so. Much. Legs, uh, there you I'm, go, Sarah. Jump on yeah, that. Yeah, right, like the, there we go. The, the number of people that have been like, hello. To, yeah, I feel like he, I'm going to owe him Christmas flowers for a decade for the amount of times I've hit him up. Uh, legs, I feel like it's in our contract we have to talk about the Lakers, so we might as well start there. Are, are the Lakers going to be relevant this year?
0: Uh, They're always relevant because they're always topical, right? Because everybody wants to talk about the Lakers, watch the Lakers, observe the Lakers. It's not a great thing for myself as an analyst because there's a lot of nights it's not good basketball and i personally think their ceiling is either eight or nine in the west no matter what happens if lebron and ad stay healthy all year and assuming that they don't do anything with their roster and westbrook stays there i think eight or nine is their ceiling in the regular season standings and that would mean play in maybe they survived the play-in. You've got LeBron and AD, so there's a good chance they get out of the play-in. That puts you into a first-round matchup against a much better team. And so I don't see the Lakers being anything better than their ceiling as a first round, best-of-seven playoff exit. And could be potentially worse than that if if either AD or LeBron at some point missed another extended period of time. I, I don't I don't think then they survive the play and Maybe they don't even get into it. I mean, because I just don't think right now you can say that any of these teams uh, are not better than the Lakers. Phoenix, Denver, Memphis, New Orleans, the Clippers. There's five right there for sure. Golden State is better. That's six. I think Minnesota ultimately will be better. That's seven. I think Dallas will be better ultimately. That's eight. So that would put the Lakers at nine. Um, now, you want to debate Minnesota and Dallas with the starts that they've had, I can. the Golden State started turning around, and I'm picking them to repeat, and I haven't wavered from that. So I just don't see where the Lakers fit in in terms of a legitimate playoff run in the West.
1: Tim Legler's with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. In recent years the Bulls uh fans have had to deal with good players finding their way elsewhere. That's happening now with Larry Markkinen, who was uninspired with both the Bulls and the Cavs, now helping lead the way for Utah. What have you seen from Markinon that's been uh the key to his success there?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me with Larry Markinon, first of all, I loved him coming out and you know, as a seven footer when he came out for the draft. Man, you know, the guy can shoot it, but he's also tough. He likes to mix it up. He's a good defensive rebounder. He's a physical player. So I really liked him. I don't think he ever really found himself in Chicago, and I think they gave up on him too soon, honestly. Went to Cleveland, played well for them, and they were playing three seven-footers. They were playing this unconventional modern NBA lineup with three bigs, and ultimately it, it wasn't going to be a spot that he could stay and maintain because nobody plays that that, that, that many bigs. So he ends up in Utah, and the one thing I've seen this year, he has added elements to his game offensively that have taken him from more of like a, a prototypical stretch four type of player to an, an all-around scorer. And now I see Laurie Markkinen, and, and rem- reminder, he's 25 years old, so he, he's just starting to get into his prime years. I think Laurie marketing could be a perennial all-star because I've seen things this year with, you know, Euro steps on the break through traffic, step-back threes, running him off pin-downs and catching the ball. I've seen him iso off the block, turn, face, jab, step, go the other direction quickly and gets the rim. None of those things he was able to do. In, in Chicago at any point, a little bit in Cleveland, he is literally finding himself now as an offensive player in this league, and, and that's the biggest reason for Utah's hot start. And I think Laurie Markkinen, like this isn't an anomaly. I think Laurie and now going forward is going to be an all-star caliber offensive player this week. I, l- I love this conversation.
2: We're talking to Tim Legler Legs early in the season, I know, but give me somebody else that's caught your eye that you've watched this year that you've thought, man, this person really needed to work on something in the offseason, and they have, and it's showing immediate dividends. Well,
0: I, th- I think for me, I, one of the biggest ones for me, and, and you know what, they haven't really gotten a lot of attention, and I don't know that he's necessarily – worked on anything, but he's on the court, and it's Kristaps Porzingis. I think Washington has been one of the great stories in the league, Um, and I made a joke last season or the year before, and and it kind of went viral because he was nicknamed the Unicorn at one point because, you know, you'd never seen something with that kind of skill set, and I actually said, you know, actually, he should be called Unicorn because you never see him because he's always (laughs) hurt, and and I made that joke, and it kind of took off, and I wasn't really trying to, you know, I wasn't trying to, like, you know, Knock him. I was just saying, if we can ever see this guy healthy for a sustained period of time, he's so unique. He, to me, could be the comeback player of the year. If, But he's got to play 65, 70 games. Now, he's played 19 to this point out of their 20 games. He's averaging 20 points, eight boards. He's a legitimate big-time rim protector, one of the best shot blockers in the league. So he's that rare guy that's more of a finesse player offensively, and then there's a rim protector on the other end, and if if he can play 65 to 70 games, Washington actually now is been convinced they're going to be in the playoff mix in the East. And I had no interest in their team going into the season. He single handedly has made me interested in watching Washington right now. And I don't want to jinx this. I'm a knock on wood. I just hope the guy can stay healthy because he is that unique in what he does on both ends.
1: Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Tim Legler. You could follow him at Legs ESPN. A lot of questions from a lot of people about what exactly the Timberwolves' plan was this offseason. They're sitting at five hundred ten and 10. Do you think they're going to figure out how to make good on the extra big lineup, or is this a doomed experiment from the beginning?
0: I'm not loving what I'm seeing. I was not a fan of it from the beginning. I, I was critical of the trade when it happened. Uh, I did some, some video breakdown for NBA Today on why. It, it's just difficult to get bigger and slower in today's NBA on both ends. And and offensively, Carl Anthony Towns said he doesn't want to play center. Well, he had the best year of his career as a center. So sometimes you don't need to acquiesce to your star players because they, maybe they don't even know what's best for them. He didn't want to be labeled a five because he thinks he's more versatile than that. Well, he now goes to, quote, the four spot. You're now playing with another guy that is a pick and rim diver. Well, that crowds a lot of the area that Carl Anthony Towns likes to operate in. So it's just difficult offensively from a spacing perspective. But then on the other end, it's even more of a problem. You've got to got two centers on the court most of the game, and you're trying to defend a league that is all high ball screen with lightning quick guards and then a ton of three-point shooting. So they've got to recover to the paint because seven-footers are trained to recover to the paint on any type of penetration. And now you're asking them to close out to two teams that have typically every possession, three legitimate three-point shooters on the court. It's a very difficult ask. It hasn't gelled so far. I'm not ready to you know write the final chapter on their season. It's too early for that. But it's kind of going how I expected it to go. I didn't think they took a step forward with that move. And I think they're finding on both ends of the court it's a little bit of tough sledding right now. Legs, we always
2: appreciate your expertise and your time, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us.
0: Anytime. Talk to you guys soon.
2: Thanks, Legs. Follow him on Twitter, at Legs ESPN. That's ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's easy to bundle your home and car insurance at Progressive.com. All right. We had to make a move on our ESPN Radio Pick'em Challenge. Did Sarah do it? Are we up in the standings? You'll find out next as we go through quickies on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: It's Spain and Fitz. Happy Monday. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. If you uh, missed the announcement last week, this is the last week of shows for Spain and Fitz. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're off on Friday. Fitz is off tomorrow. So Fitz, this is uh, our third to last show.
2: Oh, my God. I didn't I know. really th- that's that's crazy. We only got three left. I mean that's just Including
1: this one. We yeah. only have uh, you know two and a half. Only, like, yeah.
2: We have it's less down to the wire. We there. have less than the number of quarters in a football game. I am Captain Obvious. I'll be here all week.
1: Now here's the problem. Uh I'm worried about the way we're going out, and here's why. Uh I will explain it to you in quickies.
0: Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast.
1: Now it's Regular listeners will know I have established over the course of our radio marriage together almost complete dominance when it comes to predictions. Now, you've had, I think, two successful endeavors and all of the others have gone my way, which has led to a uh, multitude of unpaid debts on your behalf that include charcuterie plates and fiddle solos and wine bottles the and standard. Setting a standard. Mean, yeah, these things go way back like at least years, s- years. like five years because I've been a vegetarian for almost five years now and one of them, things you owe me is a steak dinner. Years. Um, it's years. So, it's, it's, years. It's... Um, and we I've made my last picks for our Radium Pick'Em Challenge and my last picks were to go, oh, and mother bleeping three. I mean, are you I, even trying, Sarah? I had the Cowboys minus nine at the Giants and they won by eight.
2: Which was by the, the way a, a brutally bad beat because let's yeah. be honest, there was a missed field goal and then a yes. trash touchdown. Like that, yes. that, that was I not knew it unreal. was gonna happen it's not to unreal. me yeah. too. Yeah.
1: I had the Bills beating the Lions and I took I the too. minus nine and a half. I think I did too, yeah. The Bills won, but the Lions were closer. And then I had the Patriots beating the Vikings outright, which they almost did. It doesn't matter that they almost did because I went 0 and 3. We're sitting at 14, 20, and 2. We don't have the updated standings yet, but I just want to say this I failed. <laughs> it's me. I, I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. Oh, when it so... comes to our Radio Pick'em record, you have fared better than I thus far this season, and I am depressed that my final showing will be the 0-3. You
2: know, it's okay. Like, that's going out with a bang. It's going out with a level is. of assert. Like, look, I always said my last... My last show as a musician was the Alaska State Fair, and it was cold and rainy and gross, and there was this tin roof over uh, the the stage that was so low that I couldn't even play properly because my bow kept hitting the tin roof, and there was, like, nobody there. And I was like, you know what? This makes it easier to walk away from. It It wasn't the sold-out garden show that you're like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, I can't leave on on a
1: heater. It's easier to leave if I'm tucking my tail and getting the hell out. All right, next story. Quickies. Speaking of getting the hell out, Jose Abreu, uh, a 35-year-old who was with the White Sox, he'd played all nine seasons with the White Sox after defecting from Cuba, is headed to the Astros. The Rich Get Richer, a three-year deal for Abreu with the Astros. Um... Going to gonna be uh, gone from the south side of Chicago here. Go to a place where maybe uh, his team is a little more beloved, at least by the locals, because the, the White Sox are always the redhead stepchild here in Chicago.
2: Yeah, that that is fact. And also, you mentioned the rich get richer. It's just like there's going to come a spot where it's like you want to win a World Series. There's a pretty right. easy place to go to do that. a well-run
1: I mean, team. I mean, yeah, they're, they're always
2: right. in it, no matter what. So, And we talked about the lack of uh, the, the changes made in the front office. We're like, yep, OK, cool. That's, that's just the way the matter. Astros do business. Right,
1: exactly. Uh, all right, next story. Quickies. Uh, this is a very complicated and complex story that we won't begin to try to dive fully into, but the U.S. have scrubbed the emblem from the national flag of Iran and displayed the name of the country without the IR, the Islamic Republic. This is as there is a continued uprising in that country, specifically about the rights of women there. And the U.S. Soccer Federation, in displaying the national flag without the emblem and without the IR said it was done over the course of 24 hours to show support for the women fighting for their rights. Uh, A legal advisor for the Iranian Football Federation said the country would lodge a complaint with FIFA over the U.S.'s social media graphics. This is surprising to me, Fitz, because obviously there are restrictions on all sorts of things, from uniforms to official uh, language and graphics, but the U.S.'s decision-making around their own social media uh, you wouldn't think would be something that other countries could file a complaint about, but I imagine that there might be Uh, cultural and or, uh, uh, you know, serious conflicts at play if you feel either disrespected or like your flag is being disrespected by another country during competition. So uh, I do respect the U.S.'s stance, and I hope that the conversation that arises from it is even more meaningful and powerful than continuing to, to make the graphics as they had, uh, had done for that 24 hours.
2: I would love to know what the process of filing a complaint to FIFA, of all places, yeah. looks like. But All snarky comments aside, this becomes one of those difficult spots where certainly it's important to the U.S. team to stand up for what they believe in in this situation, and it's something that you pointed out when we were working together on this show going into the Olympics is one thing that makes it difficult is every country has different practices and standards and things that they find acceptable or unacceptable. And that makes these global events in a time where we know more about everything Mm -hmm. than we ever used to, even more difficult to navigate, deciding what you're willing to stand for and what you're willing to stand up against. uh, It becomes really a part of the narrative in any of these global events.
1: Yeah. And I think there were some legitimate questions of some of the U.S. players, including Tyler Adams, captain, uh, about you know, the U.S.'s own history of racism and slavery and otherwise and whether it's fair to condemn other countries' practices. Um, and then there were some that were definitely grandstanding and posturing that were ridiculous, the idea that the players should somehow know about U.S. warships outside of Iran and otherwise. Um, it gets pretty fraught when you dive into things like that, but again, I do hope that their initial stance uh, inspired some conversation around that incredible uprising that's going on there all right let's get to the next story quickies speaking of conversation uh the vegas women's hoops tournament setup was massively criticized it felt like another round of the sedona prince photos around march madness of the ridiculous one tiny weight stand and the food and everything else that the women were Um, expected to deal with while the men were given much more lavish accommodations. Well, in this case, it's an invitational tournament in Vegas, and some of the top teams in the country, including uh, Indiana Hoosiers, her number 6th ranked undefeated team, uh, getting in there to play in a ballroom. Now, they alleged that they were going to have the same setup as Athletes Unlimited, but it was completely different when Athletes Unlimited, the, the professional teams played there with draping to cover the walls and, and the area, with other seating, with scoreboards, with all the other things you need. In the end, there was no area for spectators. There were chairs set up around the court and a player got injured and it took 45 minutes for someone to get there and it took an hour of the game being delayed. It was absolutely unacceptable at any level, not to mention the highest level.
2: Yeah, and especially Especially when you're talking about a city like vegas that has hosted so many incredible events and you know the the host resorts have already stepped out and said hey this isn't us but at some point you got to look in the mirror and make sure that what you're putting out there is something that you're comfortable with your brand being a part of so i blame everybody in this process and for a city that was just very proud a couple of days ago about being named uh, one of the a future site for the final four in 2028 got a lot of work to do in how you handle events like this Because it is a terrible look for the city and for basketball in Las Vegas.
1: It's Bane and Fitz. We're doing quickies on ESPN Radio. Next story. Quickies. Yeah, this was a weird story that came out. Odell Beckham Jr. kicked off a plane after a health concern. Uh, Officials said that he failed to respond to requests to buckle his seatbelt, appeared to be in and out of consciousness. And then they removed him from the flight. Now, uh, uh, people from Beckham's team dispute this and say it was an overzealous flight attendant uh, when he finally was removed from the plane. He allegedly um, went along with instruction. But Fitz, I saw someone respond to this on social media be like, oh, so they threw him off the pit plane for sleeping? And I was like, yeah, that's not usually how it goes. There's more to the story.
2: Yeah, I've been on plenty of flights. I've never seen somebody uh, kicked off of a plane for sleeping. So let's yeah. just be clear about that.
1: It'll be interesting to follow along as he continues to make a bid to join a team. Uh, this story is certainly not super helpful for him. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, coming up. Our buddy Ryan McGee going to join us.
0: Try to make Ooh. sense of
1: all the moving parts in college football after a wild rivalry week. Nailed it. It's Spain and Fitz.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.